This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, this is the other red letters you normally would find in, in your Bible in the Gospels, but this is Jesus speaking uh, the Apostle John to the churches that we will mention here in a second. Verse 1, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you do not tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You do not love me as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the work you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, help us to hear with our ears. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear what you're speaking, not only to the church in Ephesus, but to us. Lord, we say thank you for the privilege to hear in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As I shared last week, and I'll just kind of quickly re, uh, review quickly, uh, that we here at Mosaic Church, we let the scripture determine the topic. So it wasn't like, I wonder if I can find a scripture that has repentance because I feel like the church needs to repent. Let's look up those scriptures. Uh, we don't do that here. We let the text determine the topic. And so that's why we typically do sermon series based on the text. We did Philippians last year. We've done uh, um, Proverbs. We've done Esther, Daniel, uh, Ruth, the beginning part of Genesis, parts of Romans, uh, parts of Corinthians. And so here we are in Revelation, letters to the churches. Now, if we're going to give a title to today's sermon... The overall sermon series is called The Other Red Letters, but today is called an audit. With a show of hands, how many of you have been audited? I really view you. That's no fun. I think we have someone who audits people, but we won't call them out or kick them out. A friend of mine went to the city of Ephesus. Um, it's about 10 years now. And uh, she was overwhelmed with the size of the city, but there were still some old buildings that uh, were still standing. 
there was a gladiator graveyard and it just proved that this, there was a city, it was a metropolis city that absolutely loved spending its time watching people kill each other. And I believe that says something about the city. The population of Ephesus in the first century was estimated around 250,000 people. It was an important city. But sadly, uh, which at one time was the center a very important city in Christianity uh, has no longer, is no longer the case today. This is a picture of a church that has been transformed into office space. Sadly, across this globe and across our country, this is becoming the new norm. In England, specifically, it seems like they're closing churches left and right and um, turning beautiful churches into office spaces. But at one time, Ephesus was a major center for Christianity, so much so that there was a, a, a church council held there in AD 431. But today, the church is hardly existent, if, and if it is, it's underground. It would be almost unthinkable to think that when this letter was written and for the next two, three hundred years, that it would be hard to imagine. And last week we talked about some of the iconic churches here in Tallahassee. One of the most iconic, for me at least, would be uh, First Baptist or some of the, the main, uh, main churches, St. John's, uh, the big ones in downtown. But can you imagine? And matter of fact, if you look carefully, there are some churches the smaller churches, there's one by the cemetery that has been transformed into an office space. But just one time, this was a vibrant downtown church, the ones I mentioned, and would no longer be in a few years. It would be hard to imagine, and that's what it would be like for the church in Ephesus. It would be hard to imagine. If we read the next few chapters, we're going to see the seven churches, and there's a kind of a rhythm to it. There's a reminder of uh, how well they're doing, but some things that they're not doing so well. And as a warning to the church, and there's some specific warnings to each church. It's not just a blanket warning, uh, a, a good report and, a, and a, a warning report. So for example, this is the great temple of Artemis. And there was a point where there was a tree, a famous tree that was on the grounds here, and if you were lucky enough, if you were a criminal and you were able to escape the, the guards or the police and make it to the grounds and get to that tree, there was an asylum spot, if you would. It's like playing tag and you get to the safe spot. And if you get to the safe spot, even if you're a criminal, you were protected. And so you'll see that at the end of this um, Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, it's going to talk about paradise and, and, and a tree. And I believe it's referencing this situation. But it won't be for unrepentant criminals. It'll be for those who do repent. That's what it talks and tells us here in Revelation. And so when Jesus is walking or uh, evaluating the, the church of Ephesus, he notices a few things, that they work hard. They've been patient even under threat. 
and persecution. They have drawn a clear line between those who are really following Jesus and those who are not. And that's risky business. The second thing is they, somehow that they lose sight between love and truth. If you look at verse 4. And there's always a delicate line, isn't it? We talk about this a week, it seems like every month or so, when uh, Jesus talks about he desires mercy over sacrifice, over justice. And there's a fine line. And we shared about that a few weeks ago. But this is what he says this. I hold in verse 4, Jesus continues on to about the church The Ephesian church, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So this church at one time was in love with Jesus, but Jesus says now you have forsaken your first love. So what is the reference or the measuring stick that Jesus is using to judge this church? And I believe it refers to their love for Jesus and his mission. So the Ephesian church at one time was in love by act and by desire with Jesus and his mission. And somehow it reminds me of the Lord's prayer that Jesus is living out his life in front of his fellow man that Jesus' first love, and he never lost sight of that, is to, to do the will of the Father. And this is how Jesus is going to evaluate and audit and weigh out the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus. And that's why Jesus says he's going to come in and weigh the church And he's going to come and say, we need to cut this tree down or prune that tree or prune that vine. Why? For further growth. Last week, I talked about the closing of American churches. And I don't think all church closings are a bad thing. But around 200,000 churches are in decline in the United States out of the 250,000 Protestant evangelical churches. 200 are in decline. That's almost 80% of the churches in America. Around 4,000 churches closed their doors. And that number cannot be verified, verified, but that's the number that floats around, and I try to verify it. But let's just take 2,000 away and just call it 2,000 churches close their doors every single year. So Jesus is going to uh, audit the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. But we have to figure out what is the standard of measurement. Our friend uh, David Brennan, there he is, he was downstairs a minute ago. Um, One of the things I love about, there are many things about David, is that he helps us with our books at our church. And he makes sure, and he goes over it with a fine tooth and comb. But he's using a standard. There's something that he's using as a backdrop to determine what needs to be adjusted. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He has a standard. And he's auditing the church in Ephesus. 
But the standard, I believe, is love for Jesus and his mission. Every, every Israelite, every Jewish person knows Deuteronomy 6.4 is the hero Israel, love the Lord your God and, and the Lord is one. Every person knows that verse and tries to live out that verse. But Jesus adds to it in Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he goes on to say this. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard. If you were here a long time ago, for those of us who were around when we did the Ten Commandments, which was back in 2008, one of the things that we were challenged with as a church is that if we're going to love Jesus and, and be his disciples, and Matthew chapter 28 says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, all that I have commanded. And so we have been on a journey now for 12 years to go and figure out all that he has commanded. So one of them was to honor your parents. And I don't know how you can love Jesus and not honor your parents. To me, you cannot ignore your honoring your parents and love Jesus. And so we've been on a journey to make sure that we are doing all that we can to observe, to make disciples and, and teach them to to observe all that he's commanded. And here he's using the standard of Matthew 22 to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he goes on to the second saying like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus will accept nothing less from his disciples, from his church, if Jesus were to come and, and do an audit of Mosaic Church, and he would come and audit your life and my life, where would we stand? What would our letter grade be? If the standard is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all our minds, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. There's another warning that happens in this scripture in Revelation, but there's a way to restore this love, this first love that he mentions. In verse 5, it says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. One of the biggest challenges of, I think, the church is to recognize we have fallen. For those of you who are my age or older, you've probably ever watched the, the Fonz on Happy Days. And one of the things the Fonzie could not do is admit that he was wrong. As a matter of fact, it was a famous little line. He was like, he couldn't even say it. He would try, he was like, rrr, 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 you know, just, he couldn't say it. And that, I wonder if that's what plagues us as a church, that we can't admit because of pride or blindness that we are wrong. Maybe this was what happened to the church here in Ephesus, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There must be some sort of recognition to the church that they were at one point and that they have lost ground. 
Here's another scary thing it says in verse five. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from the place. Repent literally means to turn back. It means to turn back. And it doesn't just mean turn back and turn around, but it means to turn back to the Father. So what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus saying to the Ephesian Christians? He's saying your love, your heart, your mind, and your soul, the very core of your being, used to be for me. My mission used to be your mission, but it's not there. So the question we have asking, what happened to the church in Ephesus? Where did, where did they go awry? One of the things we know is that you will love or you will worship what you love. You will worship what you love. You will get up early to do certain things if you love it. That's why I don't love working out. I need to publicly rebuke Enrique because he's told me uh, multiple times, he goes, Pastor Mario, I don't think I've seen you use the gym downstairs. Enrique. <laughs> and he told my son yesterday the same thing. I have good intentions. And I knew when I bought that um, elliptical trainer downstairs, it would be a very expensive towel rack. But you do what you love. You worship what you love. People love and um, love this thing. I remember, um, I remember looking down at a young couple, Derek and Jordan Britt. They used to sit in the front in our old place, and they were always on their phones. I remember rebuking uh, Rachel McKeefe. She used to be up here. And Mackenzie. I think I remember both. <laughs> um, but somehow this is attached to my hand all of a sudden. And I remember them saying, like, eh. Just wait. We worship what we love. Love does not happen uh, in a vacuum. It, it's always going somewhere. It's like a river. It's always going somewhere. And it will direct us where we go. That's why Jesus is saying to the Ephesian Christians, to the regard of, of idolatry, the sin of idolatry. And this is what Jesus is really getting at. Now, here's the funny thing about the, the city of Ephesus. It reminds me of a city here that we live in. It was a large city. It was a city where people went to uh, worship Caesar and, and Deanna. Deanna, sorry, not Deanna. It was the very norm to, to be part of this cult worship, this, this uh, place of worship here. In Luke chapter 8, uh, Luke writes in uh, Acts chapter 19, there was a riot in Ephesus because Paul began to preach, which were turning the Gentiles away from idol worship. 
and it was damaging the economy of Ephesus. So something happened where people were turning away from worshiping idols, and it damaged the economy, so they were trying to put a tamper down and tamp down the Christian movement. Idolatry worship means extreme admiration or love or reverence for something or someone. And Jesus is saying to the church, your love for me and my mission was was at one time the core of your life, but it is no longer. See, Ephesus was a metropolis city, and I imagine there was lots of things to do. So what happened to the church? What did they replace Jesus with? Was it an idol? And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happened. But something happened where they forsook their first love for Christ and his mission. Ephesus was very much like New York City, London, Paris of today. It was, established, it was an established city. It was a metropolis city. It, it was very busy. And somehow the church in this very nice cultural city lost its first love and its mission. And I would say, and we've, you've heard me say this before, that for us Christians, you're, do you remember, it's probably like eight years ago, ten years ago, we, we were challenged by the book of Esther. We used to pray, Lord, we pray for those poor, poor, poor people in, in South America or in Asia or in Africa. Lord, they're suffering. And, and, you know, Lord, pray for their hearts, those who are in prison. You know what we realize is those people are over there praying for us. Lord, we pray for the Western church. We pray for the American church. They're getting lost in their, in their comfort. They're getting lost in their wealth. They're praying for us. And this is what I believe happens in the church of Ephesus. They just got kind of swept into the culture, the economy. Things were good. In Revelation, again, 2.5, remember the height which you have fallen. Repent. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So today in Turkey, which is where Ephesus is, 75 million people and 0.03 are what we call Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic, or Evangelical. It seems as though the lamp was removed. In verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. And that's what that tree we talked about, referencing, which is in the paradise of God. That truly, when we follow him, we truly will follow and and love Jesus first and his mission. So what can we take away, church? Let me just go through a few things that what we can take away. This letter, when we read the scripture, should remind us to evaluate our own lives. That Jesus is going to evaluate our life. He's going to audit our life. He's going to audit our church. 
Last week I said, <laughs> we're all united. This family of ours is only as strong as its weakest link. We are tied together. We float together or we sink together. We are tied. That's the thing about being part of a local church is that we are tied together. That's why your victory is my victory. You know, one of my favorite marriage sayings was, you know, marriage is is, uh, binding yourself to someone who will double your joy and divide your sorrows. And I think the same thing for the church. We are here for each other. Your success is our success. Our pain, your pain is our pain. There are countless times where we've wept and prayed for people in our church who, have, who are hurting. We are here for each other. And we've celebrated for those who have great things have happened. But at the same time, if, if there's sin in the family, then it affects us all. So what can we take away? That Jesus is is the great auditor. So when we speak in in this passage, he's really talking about specifically the church in Ephesus, but he's also talking about the people who inhabit that church. The church first and the, the individual believers second. Are we doing everything we can to be obedient to Christ and his mission. That's another thing we can take away from this passage. Success is not how many people we fill in the pew. But success is really, are we truly followers of Christ? Do we love him and are we doing his mission? Do we know what his mission is? Jesus tells us again to repent and do the works you did at first. He tells the the church in Ephesus to turn back to him. To turn back to him. What else can we take away is that have, have, have we forsaken our first love? Do we need to repent and turn around and receive Christ and say, God, let my love for you Increase. What is your agenda for my life? Because I want your agenda to be my agenda. Love means obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's another reason why we go back to Scripture. And Jesus says, go and Make disciples, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. And observe is not obey. Some, some scriptures say obey, but you can get a dog to obey. Sits, stand, lay down, growl. Has no clue why it's doing it. It's just doing it so it can get a treat. Observe is submitting our, our whole life, our will, and saying, I'm going to do this because Jesus commands it. The last thing, how do we evaluate ourselves to our, how do we, how do we evaluate 
what our first, if our first love is for Jesus or not. How do we do that? How can we evaluate our own lives? We live in a culture where I think we are being led by the tail and not the head. Meaning this, we're led by our emotions. I actually heard a believer tell me that they're not going to forgive someone because they are not feeling it. (laughs) How's that possible? I wasn't saying, you know, be their best friend and, you know, go on vacation together, but to forgive. Well, I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to sing because I'm not feeling it today. I'm not going to give of my resources because I'm not feeling it. So we live in a culture where we're being led by our feelings and not by our act of obedience. We've shared this in times in in marriage counseling, is act like you're in love with one another. And the research has proven if you can act like it, the feelings come back. I'm going to confess something to you. There are sometimes, and I can't remember, it's been a while, but there are sometimes I've been here and I've raised my hands and I've gotten on my knees, but I wasn't feeling it. But I was going to make my body submit to the will of the Father. But I wasn't feeling it. So we live in a culture where we're being led by the tale of feelings. I don't feel like loving my spouse. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like disciplining my children. I don't feel like confronting. Does Christ call me to do it? I'm not going to do it but we're not being led by the heart, the head of obedience. So I have a question for you. We're going to end here. How can we tell if our heart and our mind is where it needs to be? Or have we fallen? If Jesus were to come and do an audit of our lives, where would we be? One time someone told me, well, God understands. That's the standard. Their understanding that God understands. Which, okay, then be, use that same standard for your neighbor. All right, don't have two standards. If God's cool with your disobedience, that's the rule and he'll be cool with your neighbor's disobedience. It's usually like we're okay with ours, but not okay with theirs. Let's let the word be that standard. What are some of the major areas of your life right now that takes a lot of your attention? Are they the same as Jesus? I think of a lot of moms in this room um, you guys, uh, you guys are just spending a lot of time with your children. I think that's awesome. 
So I'm not just talking about time. But what is your like, major agenda in your life? What occupies your heart, soul, and mind, and strength on a daily basis? How often do you commune with the Father through reading his word or prayer? Are we living the life the Father has planned for us within his word or in in his kingdom plan? Are we living that life or are we living someone else's life or another life? So this morning, I just want us to just ponder for a moment because when he talks to the church of Ephesus, there is this concept of repentance. When we talk next week or next time about the church of Smyrna, we're going to see a difference. But today, where are we? If Jesus were to audit our lives... Where, what would he say to us as a church and as individuals? I pray that none of us are too proud to repent. I'd like for everybody to just close your eyes, head bowed. How often do you commune with the Father through prayer and reading his word? What are the major agendas in your life right now? Are they similar to Christ? What fills our heart, soul, mind, and strength on a daily basis? Are we living our lives according to the Father's will? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church, Mosaic Church, but Lord, we know that we're part of a bigger church, your church, where we know that you're not coming back for 200,000 churches, 200,000 brides, you're coming back for one church, one bride. And where we know that you love Mosaic, you're the one that started it, and you love us so much that you've brought us to this point where we're reading out of Revelation chapter 2. And we can see and evaluate the church in Ephesus. But Lord, we now want to see and evaluate our church, our lives. Lord, we know there's a warning. We don't like to hear warnings in America. We don't want to hear words like repent. We don't want to be told that we're not doing something right. We want safe zone churches. But Lord, I too cannot do what my flesh wants. I need to follow what you want. I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand in a moment. You say, Pastor Mario, there's areas in my life that I have fallen. Certain things occupy my time and energy that are not part of your plan. There are things in my life that I'm not doing the Father's will. I'm not praying on a regular basis and reading his word. And I'm not saying that so we can make you feel bad. 
That's the enemy. We're saying this so we can find rest, restoration and rebuild the relationship where it needs to be. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask every eye, close every head bowed, just you know, raise your hand and you can put it down to pray for you. Yeah, hands all over the place. Put your hands down. Lord, thank you for our church. Lord, I pray, God, that they, everyone who's raised their hand can find someone the next day or so that they would say and confess to someone they trust and know that hold them accountable and say, there's areas in my life not living up to the, your standard. Lord, we say thank you in advance for your Holy Spirit to come to convict. The enemy comes to condemn, but you come to convict and we ask you to, to bring conviction in our hearts where it needs to be. Lord, help us to do your will. Help us to do your will. We love you, Father. Thank you, and I pray a blessing upon every person here. And God, I pray that as we leave this place that we are not the same way we walked in, but we've been changed and challenged by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.